0: Thanks, Sophia. So, our passage for the sermon is the next section. And I actually thought about having the previous section reread, and I guess this is what God wanted because this is what Sophia read. Um, But I'm going to read the passage for today, which is just right in the next chapter. So, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 which is very related to what Sophia just just read. So for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized In Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is also the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come on, guys. All right, (laughs) help me out here. Alright, so we have been working our way through Ephesians, Um, and you definitely want to keep your thumb there in that chapter 3, because we're going to be going back to that uh, several times. But we've learned so far that all Christians are saints, as in the holy ones, is what that word is translated uh, from a Greek word meaning holy one, or one who's set apart uh, for and by God, and that this sainthood is a gift. It's given by grace through faith. And it's given in Christ. What he did on the cross is what purchases this identity of sainthood for every Christian. And that identity is both an individual identity, but also a communal identity. That God is creating a community of saints, not just individual saints. Um, This has been proclaimed by the church for millennia. I mean, even in the oldest creed, the Apostles' Creed, We read this, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So this idea that God is present with the church. The holy Catholic, that is universal church, meaning the belief in a universal worldwide church. And then it says the communion of saints. So not just a universal Catholic church, but a local union experiencing the Holy Spirit's work through the gospel on a regular day-to-day basis. Basis. And so Christians have been proclaiming this, not just that God has unified people to himself, but that God is unifying people to people in the gospel of Christ. Uh, it's accomplished in, in, in Jesus, right? Ephesians 2:14, we looked at this, uh, for he, Jesus Himself, is our peace, who made us both one. Right? Jesus is creating a unity among the Christians in the church, but not just among people who have an affinity for each other, actually joining people who wouldn't even be in the same room with each other, much less genuinely loving one another. And so in that verse 14 again, for he himself is our peace, and then he says, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So he's making peace, making unity out of a a group of people that have many, many, many reasons not to even be in the same room. And we said that the Ephesian church is made up of two uh, groups that would not have been in the same room together, much less brothers and sisters. Uh, They are very divided in almost every way imaginable, right? They're, They're divided racially, culturally, linguistically, politically. Even in terms of religious practice, they would have been divided. And it seemed on the surface and even below the surface that they had no hope of actually being one in the same church, that in fact it would take a miracle to make them one in the same church. And this is what Paul talks about in this passage, the miracle that God is accomplishing on the ground in and among a local church to make them one. And the miracle that Uh, he speaks of is of a mystery. It's a mystery, okay? And so we're going to look at three things. Miracle was hidden before. The miracle is revealed now. And the miracle is revealing to others, right? So it's been hidden, but now it's revealed. And it is in the process of further revealing uh, something about God. So let's look at each of those. So the, this, this miracle of the mystery is it, it was hidden. So again, in Ephesians three, it says, "For this reason, I Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery, there's that word again, of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So he's letting, letting us know this, this miracle of this mystery, it has been hidden up to this point, uh, and it, is be, it has been veiled. Uh, you think about a, a veil, uh, a bride in a wedding with a veil, you, you can see their face, but you can't see it clearly you can't see it quite quite accurately, right? And so this is this, is this idea of things being veiled that in the past, were, they were there. There were hints, but now it's unveiled. It's revealed. That's what revelation um, means. And so he's saying that a big part of his ministry, uh, the Apostle Paul's, is uh, revealing this, telling people this mystery that is now uh, being Revealed. It's very tied to his his ministry the, the, and what he does um, as an apostle. And he says he, that he's written about the mystery. Now, he's written about the mystery in the passage that Sophia read, right? This mystery, uh, which we'll talk more uh, as we go. Um, the, the, this idea of mystery and then kind of it's veiled, but it's but it's being unfolded. This is not a something that we are not that we are unaware of. And we see this in our own uh, own world. We see this in, in some marketing. Um, and it, made me, it reminded me of the way that Taylor Swift revealed the Reputation album. Right? So she wiped her whole Instagram. Nothing was on the Instagram. I know this because my wife tells me these things. Um, <clears throat> and then she, she posted this. And it was like, what's that? looks kind of weird, a little scaly, not sure. And then then we waited. And by we, I mean my wife, We, we waited. And then another one comes up. And you're like, ooh, that looks scalier than the first. It looks a little serpentine. Not quite sure what's going on here. Then the next one comes up. And it's like, oh, it's a snake. But even then, you're like, What does that mean? What's going on, right? And eventually, the whole grid. I think this is when I knew the whole grid thing on Instagram was a thing, is when Taylor Swift did this. But eventually, this unfolding of this mystery, and then boom, the Reputation album has been revealed. Now, God's much better at this than, than Taylor. Now, Taylor's pretty good at it. Don't get me wrong. But God's willing to trickle out clues for millennia And he can do that since he's an eternal God, right? He's got time on his hands. He can trickle this out. And he has been trickling it out among the Jewish people, through the Jewish people. Uh, We talked about this last week when when he's starting the nation through Abraham. He's promising Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. It was there. We just didn't see it, right? Right? Then we, we, we talked about the mixed multitude that was in addition to the bona fide Israelites that were coming out of Egypt. There was this mixed multitude that was thrown in. It was part of the people of God. It was there. We just didn't realize what was unfolding. And other non-Israelites like Ruth and Rahab that are gathered into the people of God. God had in mind this, this mystery that he was going to eventually unveil. And when the prophets got involved, they really started giving hints. I mean, Isaiah is probably the one who has the, the most prominent hints. Here's one, Isaiah 11, verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Like, the knowledge of God is going to be all over the earth? Not just in Israel? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. How's he going to do that? Verse 10. In that day... The root of Jesse, Jesse's King David's dad, okay? Who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, plural. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. It's like, oh, there's going to be this this kingly figure in the line of David that's going to be a king for the peoples, the nations, right? And then goes on, verse 11. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand, yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. Where is people? From Assyria? What? From Egypt? What? From Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. That This vision of, of the king of Israel gathering in the peoples and the nations under one banner. And it was all a bit murky exactly how... He was going to do that, and in the first century, the Jews were not thinking that they were going to have a a worldwide monarchy, right? They're thinking we're under the thumb of the Roman Empire, and all we want to do is just get our land back and get our king back and and be able to have our geopolitical unit back in order, right? And this whole time, God has been uh, hinting, no, I'm playing for the whole world. I'm going to raise up a, a king in the line of David that is going to be the king of the nations, right? And so Paul here is saying, it's happened. This thing we've been waiting for, it's happened, right? The, the miracle uh, of this mystery is revealed. And so in verse 6, he tells you what the mystery is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the miraculous mystery, right? And this is, the, this is the big reveal in this passage right here of this idea of a people of God made up of the peoples of the world. And they have the same rights and privileges as the Israelites. They, they, they are part of the same body. They, they are partakers of the covenant promises. You see that? It's earth-shattering, For so long, the the Jews have been seeking to mark themselves as separate from everyone else and doing so under the direction of God, in large part. Uh, The circumcision, right, it's a permanent mark in the flesh that, that marks off us and them. Kosher eating was an ongoing social separation with all the other peoples of the world, a prohibition of marrying anyone outside your ethnicity, right? The family was was carrying the freight of staying Jewish. And so we had prohibitions about marriage. And then Sabbath keeping, which wasn't just about worshiping and resting on the Sabbath, but it, it created your whole calendar, your whole schedule was built around this idea of making sure you kept Sabbath. And then After all that separation, now God is saying, I'm gathering the non-Jews into my people. And they have all the same rights and privileges as those who are keeping kosher, those that are keeping Sabbath, uh, those that are following uh, Old Testament covenant. And this is the miraculous mystery. This is the miraculous mystery. And how is God doing that? Look again at the end of verse 6. In Christ Jesus Through the gospel. This is how he's doing it bringing all the peoples of the earth together in one uh, people. We talked about this last week how Jews and Gentiles equally need salvation in Christ. They have a solidarity, uh, they share solidarity of being both sinners in need of grace and having been saved by that grace. And and so they're they're in need of Christ in the exact same way. And it brings them together as one. Each group joins Jesus and joins Jesus' people the same way, by grace and through faith. Uh, You hear this in uh, what Paul writes in Galatians, another congregation struggling with the same thing um, with the Jew-Gentile controversy. So in Galatians 3, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ." There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's, neither, no, there's no male, no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, Jews and Gentiles, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So He's doing the same thing there. He's, he's saying if, if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's offspring. You're in the people of God. You have all the rights and privileges of the covenant people of God. And so he's saying that that miracle is being, it is revealed. The mystery is over. We know. What God was hinting at all along is now the making of one people, of the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the miracle is also revealing. It's showing some things. Uh, And it's interesting. It's, It's showing some things to two different categories of beings this mystery that's being revealed is showing something to human beings and is showing something to spiritual beings. And both of these are in this passage. So let's talk about the human beings first. So verse 7, he says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So he's describing this like further proliferation of the revealing of the mystery, that that, that the mystery has been revealed, that Christ has shown up. He's the Davidic king that we've been waiting for. He's the Davidic king that's bringing the nations together. But as those people come together and they do life together and they proclaim the gospel together, they're further revealing the mystery that God had in mind. And Paul says he has been made a minister or an administrator, a steward of this gospel. And it's his way of saying it didn't originate with him. It was entrusted to him. And now he administrates it. He stewards it. He didn't just make it up. And he says he's a fellow saint. He's like, I'm the least of all the saints here. I need this grace as, as much or more than anyone else. And that says a lot because he was in the upper echelon of Jewish leadership. If anybody had the right uh, Jewish credentials to say, I'm in the club, I'm in God's people, it was Paul. And he's saying, I needed grace even more uh, than anyone else, Jew or Gentile. And so he, he, he lets them know, this is how we all get into this relationship with God and into this community uh, that's built around the gospel. And he's happy to report that the Gentiles are responding. They are responding in faith to this good news about what Christ has done for them. He describes the gospel he's preaching as the unsearchable riches of Christ. Tuck that away, go home and, you know, Memorize that little phrase and meditate on that phrase. Wow. The unsearchable riches of Christ. He's saying it's of infinite value. It's of infinite value what Christ has given us. Um, We we have some things of, of value, most of us, right? Maybe you have a car or maybe you have education or a home or a spouse or friends or parents that love you. Those things are valuable. But they're not infinitely valuable. This is the one thing that's infinite in value. and searchable riches of Christ, what God has done for us in Christ. And uh, this idea of it being unsearchable, we love to search for stuff, right? We, being able to search vast quantities of data this is, this is, this is what we do. right We, we had some, a friend who has a PhD. in data science. And uh, I remember talking to him, and I'm like, "What do you? What's your deal? Like, what's your specialty?" He's like, "My specialty is search engines." I'm like, "Oh, cool." And he worked for Twitter some, and Yahoo, and different different companies. And I said, "Well, t- could you explain, like, what is a search engine and how does it work?" And he's like, "I can't explain it. Not to you, Robert. I don't think I could explain it to you." Right? And this this ability to just search what's feels like infinite, the imp- the internet, but it's not, right? And he's saying, no no amount of searching could ever delve the depths of the gospel, of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. It is unsearchable. And this unsearchable, infinitely valuable Christ and what he's done for us is what is enough to bring about people who would have never even been in the same room together. This is what will do it. And... It's not people just trying harder. Like, let's just try harder. Let's try hard to get along. Let's try hard to be friends with people that are not like us. That's not enough. Valuing diversity, it's not enough. Not saying these things are, I'm not saying they're bad, they're not enough. The unsearchable riches of Christ, now that is more than enough. For bringing people together that would have never even been in the same room, much less actually genuinely loved one another. And he says that this, this is the gospel, right? And what is the gospel? This gospel, it means good news. It's news. It's truth claims. Um, it's something that is preached. This is how you access the gospel. You hear it. You read it. And it's, it's preached or heralded. And everyone's doing that. Not just, it's not, not just what I'm doing right now. Every Christian is called to preach the gospel. Um, and so it's, it's sharing truth about what Jesus did for us when he, he died and was buried and rose from the dead. Um, but it's not sharing it like someone who is a paid spokesperson or is a kind of a duty-bound member of a religious sect. Uh, it's someone whose life has been changed by the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the only way to be able to preach the gospel. You you yourself have been transformed by the gospel, and now you preach the very thing that has changed your life. Um, you know, when I'm at the gym, they've always got at least one of the screens. It has an infomercial going on. And when it's like kind of a slick paid spokesperson, like an actor or somebody, and they're like, you should buy this product. I'm like, whatever. I don't care. And I look away and try to look at something else. But when it's like someone who's like used the product and their life has changed, I'm like, I can't look away. I'm like, wow, this is amazing, right? Cindy Crawford's skin looks the same at age 58 as when she was 25. I can't look away. I'm like, I'm thinking, maybe I should get some of that product. Man, that's awesome, Right? Now, I hope you don't share Jesus like an infomercial, but there is something there that that gets at this preaching idea, that the thing that you're preaching, the thing that you're communicating, is something that has changed your own life personally. And so there's an authentication to that, because you yourself have been changed by the gospel. And this preaching is not just done as as an individual. It's done as a community community as a community, we're preaching the gospel. This is a team sport. Um, Again, he he says in verse 9, and to bring this light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? What he's teaching is that the church is like revealing, is witnessing to this reality that is the gospel, that This idea of the Jews and the non-Jews coming together is authenticating how good and true the gospel is. And it is God's plan, yes, to save individuals. And he is also making a community out of those individuals. And so a healthy church is, yes, witnessing to the reality of the gospel as individuals out in the world, but we're also witnessing to the reality of the gospel as a community in the way that we do life together and are on mission uh, together this this thing that um it the first thing that I, first time I really it just dawned on me that this is how this works uh was when I was watching Rebecca who was uh, a student in our ministry in Massachusetts moving toward Christ and she had grown up kind of spiritual but not Christian and she was interested in Christianity she heard that Steve who went to our church was a Christian. She literally knocked on his dorm door and he opened it and she was like, are you a Christian? I heard you're a Christian. <laughs> you know? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you need? And uh, she's like, I want to go to a Bible study. And so he brought her uh, to our house for Bible study. And so Steve was a uh, physics major, pretty smart dude. He's, he was answering some of her, her questions. Uh, but then she met Sarah and Sarah was just gushing with compassion and mercy. And Rebecca had gone through some hard things and Sarah was really able to just comfort her and bring mercy to, to her. Um, then uh, she met Jill, and pretty immediately after that, Jill went through some really hard times with uh, a f- family accident where her mom and dad were in, in, in an accident, and Jill was just so faithful to Christ throughout this really painful time, and it was something that Rebecca watched as Jill walked with Jesus through hard times. Uh, Rebecca was also encountering my wife and watching her, you know, raising kids and being a mom and hosting and loving her and having conversations with her. And you could just see Rebecca just moving closer and closer and closer to to faith in Christ. And then one day she comes up to me, she's like, I want to set up an appointment with you. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. So we meet up. She comes in, she's got like five questions on on her piece of paper. And uh, she's like, what about this? And they're all hot-button, kind of cultural, tough tough questions. And so I do my best to try to answer each question, and we get down to the end of it. And uh, she's, I'm, she's like, okay. I'm like, okay, what? She's like, okay, I think I have my questions answered. I'm like, okay, well, are you, you ready to become a Christian? She's like, I don't know. I, I th- I'm close. And then she just kind of, you know, headed out the door. And then not long after that, we're taking communion in our little Bible study. And uh, with just tears and quivering little mouth, and she's just like, I want communion, right? As a way to profess her faith. Now, that, that was a gospel witness that came from the community, right? That wasn't one single solitary super Christian who went out and told them about Jesus and they became Christians. Although that can certainly happen, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I've seen over the last three decades is usually it's a group thing. And different kinds of people with different kinds of gifts, different kinds of, of, of abilities to, to meet different needs, are working together as friends and inviting that person into those friendships and then over time they they see the gospel for what it is and they respond with faith. That that is the community being a gospel witness or one of the ways. And it seems consistent with what Jesus was teaching uh, his disciples when he said to them in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love for one another. And so he's saying this, this thing that the church is doing communally is authenticating the truth of the gospel. People are looking in at the gospel witness of the community. It's not perfect. It's always a work in progress. There's always things going wrong, okay? But in the midst of that, this is, this is how God reveals that both that the gospel is good and that it's true. And, you know, if a local fellowship totally fails at that, um, it's still true. It's still true. But plan A is that the, the, the church will be healthy, and that it would be a gospel witness to show that this gospel is both good and true. So not only are, are this, is this mystery like revealing something to the, the human beings, it's revealing something to the spiritual beings. And this starts in verse 10. Uh, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence to our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul wants them to know there's a spiritual dimension to the unfolding of this mystery. And, and he will mention this dynamic multiple times in this in this book, but he's letting us know there are rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, right? In the heavenly places. And he's talking about demonic forces. Um, he's, he'll say something similar in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Some of you may know this verse, 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. There they are, same thing, same verbiage. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's that phrase, heavenly places. Again, he's saying that the miraculous mystery of Jews and Gentiles coming together in the gospel is revealing the manifold wisdom, right? So this comprehensive, incomprehensible wisdom of God that that he is revealing, not just to human beings, but to spiritual beings as well. That what God is doing is cosmic in its scope that he is, yes, saving individual saints, that he is also saving an entire seen creation, but he is also serving notice to the devil and the demons in the unseen world that their days are numbered. And when the church is doing what the church is supposed to do, it's a reminder to those spiritual beings that Christ the King has come. And he has established little embassies, little local churches all around the planet And those are just the beginning because he's going to completely flood the earth with his rule and his reign. And the the local church is reminding those spiritual beings of that serving notice to them. And um, the result of that uh, revelation is different than the revelation to human beings. So human beings actually have the opportunity to turn from their sin, turn toward Christ in faith. Spiritual beings, not so much. They don't have that option. It's just a a reminder to them that they have a particular destination, and it is not good. Now, why is he getting into that, all that victory talk, right? Um, He'll talk about it again in Ephesians 4. uh, He'll say this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So this is a quotation from Psalms, but he's describing Jesus descending in his death, his burial, then ascending in his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand like a king with a train of his robe. And in that, he's giving the spoils of war to his church, and he has a host of captives in that train. And those host of captives are the demonic. And so it's a reminder yet again of Christ's victory over the demonic. Um, and why, why is he doing that? Well, he's doing that to encourage a suffering church. A suffering church that's tempted to start to fight against human beings. And he's saying, no, you, human beings are the ones that you're committing the gospel to. And the, the, the war is in the unseen, like he'll say in Ephesians 6.12. And it's an encouragement to them to, to keep proclaiming the gospel, to keep moving forward on the mission even though it's, there's suffering involved, even though it's difficult. Um, and, and it's an encouragement to the Ephesian church and to us as well. Um, we're revealing the mystery here at Ridgetop Church. This is part of what we're doing here. <laughs> we're revealing the mystery of, of people who would have never been in the same room together, but now are learning to genuinely love one another in a local church family. And this is serving notice yes to the demonic, right? We've set up shop in a city for the most part that has set itself up over and against the kingdom of God. We're we're behind enemy lines here. But we have set up an embassy for the kingdom of God and we're serving notice to the city. Not because we're against the city, not because we're against the people in the city. We actually want them to see the witness, the gospel witness individual and communal and turn from sin and turn toward God in faith and join us in this community. But, it's, but it is a cosmic fight. There is things going on in the unseen that are happening as, as we are fighting against the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. We'll talk more about that in Ephesians 6. If you want to go and just read that this afternoon and go, okay, how do, how do we fight that fight? Uh, that passage will be extremely helpful and we'll talk about it. Uh, later. So how do we respond? Well, one, believe the gospel. Believe the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is infinite value. It is the only thing that you'll ever be offered that is infinite value, right? This is no infomercial, folks. (laughs) This is truth, and it's good. Receive it by faith. Receive it by faith. And it not only saves you as an individual from your sin, but it also places you in a community of other saints who now get to be a gospel witness together uh, in this city and beyond. And that's my next point, is to participate in the miraculous mystery. right? Become a part of relationship with God, but don't stop there. Participate in the miraculous mystery. Join a local church. And by join, I don't mean just sign the dotted line, but devote yourself to a local church. If not us, go to another church. Devote yourself to that church, but devote yourself to a local church. This is where we work out this miraculous mystery. And then actively love those in that church, whichever church that is. Actively love them. And especially love those you don't have an affinity for. Move toward the other, right? Uh, that John 13, where he says, love one another, it's like the opposite of othering. We talk a lot about othering in our culture. Well, we're one anothering in the church. We're, we're, we're seeking to build relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, we're aware that there are divisions that we have to work at getting over and getting through, and I think it's helpful to be aware of that, Right? But the gospel and the unsearchable riches of Christ that what gives us the resources to then move toward people that are not like ourselves. And that is part of the gospel witness to Austin. And Austin needs to see that. There's a lot of skeptics in Austin. There's a lot of church hurt in Austin. They think they've seen the gospel and they've seen the church. They don't have anything to do with it. And it's going to require them most likely to see a gospel community, a gospel-centered church actually living out what? The Scripture teaches, and then, by God's grace, they'll take another look. They'll turn toward Christ as they see the witness of His people. It's also a reminder that God is working to reach the peoples of the Word, of the whole world, right? And so, yeah, we're going to be on mission in Austin, which also includes peoples from the world, right? This is one of the great things about this time period, is that people are coming from all over the world, all kinds of different places into Austin. We get to rub shoulders with them. We get to commend the gospel to them. And oftentimes we don't have to go to another country in order to do that. But we do also need to go to other countries, right? And so this is why we're sending people to Central Asia in the summer. This is why we, this morning we were praying for different countries and different missionaries uh, during the prayer time because we want to see the peoples come under King Jesus. Uh, and, and that is happening, and it is continuing to happen until he returns. And we as a church want to be a part of that kind of a mission. We're reminded of this uh, reality every time we come to this table. Um, the thing that we can do that actually brings us together in unity, that we we must do over and over and over and over, is center on Christ. I think this is where the, the world doesn't understand how to bring diverse peoples together, Right? They say the way you bring diverse people together is you focus on diversity. It's actually you focus on Jesus. And as different diverse people come together around the gospel and they say, this is my value, this is what is infinite, then it sets the stage for diverse kinds of people to actually be family together. And this is what we're doing at this table every time we gather. right? We're reminded of the night on which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death. He took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The unsearchable riches of Christ came at a great cost to Christ. And again, there's just nothing that valuable, right? And this is what's been offered to us in the gospel. In the same way, he took the cup and after he blessed it, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the... New covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. It is a new covenant. That mystery that was veiled, it was there, but it's been completely unveiled now in a new covenant community. And that's what we're here to do, is the new covenant community of people from all kinds of different places coming together around the gospel of Christ, And we're reminded of that every time we come to the table and we gather around this table, we're reminded of the unsearchable riches of Christ. So let's pray. God, we're grateful that we actually live in the, in the time period where you've made this big reveal and we get to be a part of it and that we get to participate as a local church, that we get to be a part of this revealing of the mystery, the miracle. And I do pray, this is, this is what would happen here, God. We don't want to be a social club. We, we don't just want to go through religious motions. We want to be a work of your spirit that is working out this mystery around the gospel. And so would you bless the bread and the cup and our time as we take it, and as we reflect on what we've just heard from the word. God, help us to center on you and then on that foundation, work our way toward others especially those that we wouldn't have a natural affinity for. God, break down dividing walls. Maybe they're not hostility, maybe they're apathy, maybe they're fear. Lord, would you break those down with your gospel power, by your spirit, and help us, Lord, to be a true family that truly loves one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.